0: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of The Passive Hang. We're at number nine. And today, it's a bit of a personal one um, in that the guest that I've invited was someone who was really influential to me. So, about four years ago, when I started this search into or questioning what I was doing with my training and where I was heading with it, I I was kind of lost. I didn't really know where to start, where to search. And so, I just went on the internet started uh, searching around and that led me to YouTube and somehow through that whole mix of YouTube, uh, all those videos, I um, I found these really easy to follow along mobility routines and they were designed by a guy called Tom Merrick. And they were a little bit different, these routines, uh, just the way it was presented, it, the way it was explained, and then also the fact that I had all these notes um, beside these videos. So I think in this mobility routine, it actually ended with this squat routine uh, by uh, made famous by Ido Portal. And so in those notes, that's when I found Ido's old blog. And well, I guess you can say the rest is history with... Um, leading me into movement culture and and the like. So when I started this podcast, I knew that I wanted to also include figures that were really inspirational to me along in my journey. And it's funny because now when I log onto YouTube and I see Tom's channel, it's now grown to, I think, over half a million subscribers. So I know that he's had quite a big global impact, actually. And when I talk to my friends inside the movement community and also outside of the movement community, you know, people who are not aware of the movement culture at all, I know that some people actually know Tom Merrick. So this one was a bit of a special one for me, but also it was really great just to sit down with him and just understand the person behind all these videos as well. So Tom Kindly shares the backstory behind, I guess, his... his rise on YouTube, but then also just uh, his general training and life. And I really find it quite interesting when he goes deeper into what he currently calls his channel, which is the Bodyweight Warrior. So he takes a lot of inspiration from the Jungian uh, personality types. I think it's like the King Warrior, Magician, the archetypes there. And um, he spends a bit of time on why he specifically chose the Warrior Energy So I'm going to kick this off. I think the conversation starts with me introducing a bit of my own backstory to Tom. I hope you guys enjoy this one. This is episode nine of The Passive Hang. My name's Faeon and here we go. Like what else is out there to to work on? And so I started just Googling and then I guess the easiest resource was at the time YouTube and then that's when I found... I found you. So uh, it was your mobility routines at the start, which was, um, which really resonated with me because I think it was just compiled in a really easy to understand way uh, with breaking the body up. And I hadn't seen like any of that stuff really, because I hadn't worked on any of that um, stuff. And then at the end of that, I think you included like the Edo portal squat routines. And then you had like the links uh, to, I think are you talking about
1: the loaded mobility, like the old, old video?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm I'm OG. OG Tom Merrick here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot like there seems to be quite a few times where like I see a random comment on a video and I'll be like, I've completely forgot that I made that video. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I have this I have this one for these um like home (laughs) you know, have you had those like fruit and nut like protein bar things like I think they're called naked bars in the UK but Mm -hmm. they're kind of everywhere but like kind of dates and nuts and yeah, i just found a recipe that i made for that and i haven't seen it for years and somebody commented on it the other day i was like oh man i completely forgot about this recipe like i'm gonna have to make it again um but yeah i completely forgot about the video that was uh i think that was very much you know inspired at the time yeah Um, and, and also of my man Emmett as well
0: yeah so that's where i started clicking through all the links that you provided in that video, like to Emmett, to Edo, to all that sort of stuff. And that sort of set off my own journey into like researching and then, you know, seeing these guys as well, it was kind of like mind blowing moment where you're like, Oh, like someone you can actually move in that way. You can do that. There's like a process for training in that way as well. But then at the time I was just doing like the mobility routine um, and it was just making me feel a lot better as well. So I was like, okay, I think, I really need to like step away from some of the stuff that I was doing from before and then try and mm-hmm. explore more wider ranging stuff. And so I got into the gymnastics style training, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then that sort of coincided with a, a bit of a journey that I took where I, I like left Australia, I jumped on a bike and I rode around China and Japan for about two years. Um, and then, sure during that, during that time, it gave me, yeah, I guess the freedom. So I asked myself a lot of questions, but then also get more into deeper, um, into this sort of stuff and muck around with, you know, some of the training methods as well. And during that time, that's where I also found, um, a capoeira teacher. And so I trained for that for, uh, for about half a year as well. And then, so that just sort of set me off in the space where, where I am now. So I'm just kind of movement culture inspired, but yeah, still primarily like body weight, strengths, capoeira movements, that sort of thing. Cause I enjoy it.
1: I mean, yeah, kind of, when you say movement culture, it depends on what avenue you end up going down because hmm. I think ultimately like, yeah, movement culture is a mix of capoeira, body weight strength and some hand balancing. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems to have evolved and encompass much more things in recent years. Uh, but I, I don't claim to be a, an expert in movement culture. I think it's not something that like, I, I was, I did get into it a little bit, as you said, probably a similar mm-hmm. sort of route to yourself, but yeah. um, I, it's something that I, I don't, I don't know. I struggled to apply it well. Uh, I'm sort of naturally quite a logical person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it feels much easier. For, like I, I struggled with the, the, Lack of logic in uh, that kind of like the idea that you know you just go and you just move and try and connect all these things together. Like yes, it was fun to mm-hmm. to create flows and do this like different transition stuff, but actually like training it and getting good results out of it, I kind of I just struggled. Um, mm-hmm. and I preferred to be like, okay, here's my session. I'm going to do this, and this makes sense because I can <laughs> kind of arrange my sessions. Like it is, just, it just, it just yeah. made more sense in my head.
0: So, yeah, with the with the logical process, right? Like um, yeah. I think that's where like the core bulk of my training still sits with like just general strength, capacity and mm-hmm. mo- mobility uh, because but
1: as it should be, like yeah. as, as far as I'm aware when you're doing like, you know, whatever it is that the, is it Floreo, however he calls it Capoeira, like mm-hmm. ultimately strength is always your foundation. And this is you know, really the fundamental part of strength and conditioning for any sports specific application. Mm-hmm. We can consider Capoeira our sports specific application. We need to have, a foundation of strength and conditioning to support that higher level goal. So, mm-hmm. although yes, like it's fun to do these movement style things. We need to back that up and make sure we have, you know, good proficiency with, um, planche, handstand, ups, pull up, like all of those things are going to contribute to that higher end goal of movement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I believe that as well, because I guess just through my direct experience as well, like if you don't have those base levels, like you're just sort of hitting your head against the wall as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh it's, I personally realized it um when I was training for the planche and I when I first got into body training I had been doing uh as you said like we like yourself I've been doing uh initially bodybuilding because I got into it for more fantasy reasons and and I think mm-hmm. as kind of we all do when we're younger. Um, and then I shifted more towards powerlifting. So I was lifting heavy numbers, um, and, and a little bit of Olympic thing as well. And then I had uh, a glandular fever or what in the U S is called mono, like a viral infection, yep. kind of common with teenagers. It's like a, a fatigue thing. Mm. I lost like 12 kilos in the space, in about three or four weeks. I was like, wow. just wiped out, couldn't do anything, <laughs> just like in bed. And how many and, weeks uh, of training,
0: training was that beforehand?
1: uh three and a bit like three and a half years
0: okay so you pretty um, much just saw like all of that disappear within
1: yeah i mean i wasn't super strong i had like a 200 kg like 200 kilo 440 pound deadlift mm-hmm. yeah um that was like my my best lift um i wasn't crazy strong by any means but you know i'd, I'd worked up to a certain point i was pretty happy with the progress i've made and like literally like i was super weak afterwards so that's actually the reason i started bodyweight training because i was just too weak to do any sort of barbell weighted work mm-hmm. i was like just trying to go back to some general strength of body weight. And I never, never actually went back to weightlifting after that point.
0: So how did but that work well, for you? Like at the very start when you were like, okay, like, I'm just going to jump into, to, to body weight. Um, how did, how did you find your information and decide what you, what to work on?
1: Genuinely can't remember. I just, I, I think I just remember doing like push ups, rows, some pull-ups, um, that sort of thing, probably oh. Undoubtedly, probably watch some athlete Next videos or something. I would be surprised if there were some like six pack shortcuts. Mike Chang, <laughs> that was popular at the time. Um,
0: You're going back to like old school YouTube days, yeah, pre pre Tom yeah. Merrick days.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. Basically, I would say that's that's kind of where it probably would have started. Mm. Uh, the, the towel rows at home, towel pull ups. <laughs> Right. It was it was never like that. But um, I started doing the just the bodyweight stuff, and and I was at university at the time, and and the university I went to was one called Loughborough in the UK, which is like the biggest sports university in the UK. So we had um, you know a whole variety of clubs, and the the UK the GB um, gymnastics team trained there. So I started mm. doing gymnastics. Like we had those like the student version so I could train yeah. a couple of days a week in the gymnastics gym. And we had like this old Bulgarian coach who was, he was pretty savage because I'm like, I'm 6'4". I'm like 191 centimeters. I'm pretty tall. Um, I'm not really like a gymnast size. And like the first few sessions we had, I'd go in there and he'd be like, just stop. You're not supposed to do gymnastics. Go do pole work. Go do something else. Like (laughs) you you shouldn't, you shouldn't be here. Basically, (laughs) I was like, oh, damn it. But uh, when I first started training there, I just remember like watching the, the kind of the GB, the elite level guys they were doing like you know Maltese Iron Cross on rings all of this like crazy stuff Um, and I was like I just remember looking at them and being like cool man I'd really like to be able to do that like yeah give me like three or four years and and I can work towards that like little did I know at the time that they've been training like since they're five years old they've been doing like 15 years of consistent training and just like the time those guys are just superhuman. like what they actually can do Mm -hmm. I feel like if just with any Olympic sport, but specifically gymnastics, you should take a member of the audience, put them in like on the apparatus before any of the people who compete, compete and just be like, just give you a go, like give it a go at doing some things. And then the audience can watch them try to do it. And then they watch the like elite level gymnast, it, and they'll be like, oh, okay, yes. That's, that's ridiculously hard. It's just, <laughs> you, you never have any perception about how hard the stuff they do is.
0: Yeah. I think um, I made the, same realizations like many times over once you start getting into it and you're just trying like say that uh, a skin the cat where you go over the rings and you're like at at first you're like oh this is actually really hard and then you watch the olympics and they're like going 360 like in flat planes and and it's like this this moment where you're like oh that is like actually like alien it's not even human
1: no. Well, just think about like the muscle up, the muscle up's a super mm. common goal um, in general fitness, Like that's not even a skill in gymnastics. So that's just how you get on top of the rings to start your routine. Like that's, that's, that's just like, that's a prerequisite. That's like opening the door, yep. um, you know, and it's, 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 it's a big thing in normal training. Well, so, yeah, what, what they're doing is just another level.
0: I love how humbling it is because I've made my way down to um, the gymnastics center down here a couple of times as, as well. And every time where you're like, Oh yeah, like, I'm smashing it. I'm really making like some good gains. You go there and <laughs> <laughs> you just see some guy, you know, do like a double backflip and then he'll go on to like um some other ap- apparatus as as well and your mind will just be blown to the to the next level again and just go okay, back to the drawing board. I still got still got a lot to work on.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually it was it was um one of the things I first started watching like going back uh, was actually a couple of fellow Aussies uh, was Lachlan Walker and Tyson Edwards? I don't okay. know if you've come across their content.
0: I think that Tyson is, Edwards that, like rings a bell, but yeah,
1: that's like OG um, bodyweight YouTube content for me. Um, yep. They had these series that were like stronger, uh, and I can't remember what the other ones were. So I just remember watching those back in the day. Yeah, L- Lachlan is um he's like six foot like he's a tall guy. He's he's late on the scene with gymnastics like started it as an adult and like I I really respect like he's fully committed to doing gymnastics like he actually competes at I'm pretty sure a national level. Um, mm-hmm. not not necessarily like elite level going to the Olympics but like he competes at a good level and he's going mm-hmm. to that as an adult being tall, lots of things against him so uh, I was trying watching that series back that was a really good one. Um, which is still on YouTube, there's still loads of that and, yep. and Tyson as well. He's got like full planche, and he's a big mm-hmm. guy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always impressive.
0: Yeah. So I guess what you started getting into body weight yourself just through like the more basic stuff. And then was there a bit of a switch and a change at some point when you're like, Oh, I'm going to get a little bit more serious with it. Like was that at the time you started sharing and making videos, like what happened sort of during the early days?
1: Oh, sure. Um, I think the early days I was just literally like, I just posted stuff on Instagram, um, but it's like, just like any old post. I actually initially posted stuff about coffee on Instagram um, <laughs> when, when I went to, when I went to like university, I couldn't afford to keep my car. So I sold my car and then with that money, I bought a coffee machine, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I had this, like, I'm glad I'm
0: finding out where your priorities lie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I had this like semi-professional coffee machine that I had basically all through university so like so like me and my me and my friends, uh, my best mate we, we were both obsessed with coffee so we just like taught ourselves how to pour like latte art and all that sort of stuff so I literally like my Instagram if you scroll back far enough it'll just be like pictures of coffee latte art and that's about it
0: I'm imagining um, the, uh, the tra- like, transition it's like latte art and then suddenly planche
1: <laughs> yeah it's actually like it's, it's like latte art and then like the odd photos of like handstands I like some plunge or something else like starts to drift in and then it just slowly transitions over. Um, but yeah, that was, that was basically, I, d- I mean, I just started doing gymnastics. It was, was the main thing. Like I started doing the bodyweight draft, the, the basic things that like, you think of mm. more like maybe more akin to like the street workout stuff. Um, but with no intention of doing the like crazy stuff, just more like lots of dips, lots of pushups, lots of volume, that sort of thing. Uh, and then I kind of got slowly more into the skills side of things. Actually, the handstand was one of the main things that like properly drew me in. Yeah. Um, another, Aust- well, he's not actually Australian, uh, but he's, he's English, but he lives in Australia, uh, a big pool Uh He's based, I think in Melbourne as well, actually. Um, hey, he's
0: um, he's in Perth.
1: Perth. Yes, he is. Yeah. Sorry. He's in Perth. Um, but yeah. So I, he had like, again, back like six years ago you had a thing which was like handstand 365 mm-hmm. uh, so he was just doing a handstand every single day and i was like oh cool that seems like fun so i just did the same thing I, I think he's still going on with that <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah like literally like five or six years later he's still doing
0: it <laughs> yeah uh, oh that's amazing so i think yeah the handstand's like a really interesting skill isn't it i think it draws in a lot of people into into this whole whole world right um certainly it was for me as well
1: it's one of those things that's just impossible and then it's possible it's like there's no other thing Mm -hmm. in kind of fitness culture that has that
0: um yeah i remember it was the it was the same with me um because i think it would have been from your videos as well that i think i was like okay this guy's really into handstands maybe i should just 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 give this a go as well and at that time like I'd been working on overhead press for like however many years. So I could press like my own body weight. So I was like, Oh, I should be able to do this. And I remember just trying to go upside down and yeah, it was like chaos. I was, I was like so scared. I couldn't, I couldn't kick up. I didn't have like any awareness at all. I remember I used to put a a mattress down, like, so I would know that if I was to kick up, I would just fall over and and be safe and okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Nice. I like it. Yeah. It's, it's, such, it's such a weird one because like, I feel like people can go to the gym and they might be naturally strong, so they can start lifting weights. Uh, and You can lift a reasonable amount of weight without much uh, training, but the handstand doesn't seem to be like any sort of faking it. Like you, you either can or you can't, for mm-hmm. one. And, you know, somebody who, is, who can balance a handstand freestanding has had to work on that skill for a reasonable portion of time, a dedicated, especially like, if you get to one arm. Like you know, that person has put thousands of hours of practice yeah. into handstand, um, so I think it's there's certainly the element of just like you can't go up and just do it, mm-hmm. it does take that commitment, and yeah, there's that you don't ever have that perspective. Like, you can be quite a, a reasonable athlete and you flip yourself upside down, and you can be absolutely hopeless. It's a completely different perspective. I just think it's a really good like just taking that something that was literally just impossible and then it's possible. And it is, I, I don't know. It seems to be one of those skills that opens people's minds to like what their body is. Mm. capable
0: of doing. Yeah. I think it applies to almost like in my experience to a lot of the body weight, like strength movements as well. Like I know, like in the press to handstand for, for ages, for, for me, I was like, like this, I, I'd like, I, I couldn't understand how it could be possible just to lift one's legs up like that given that like yeah. i was trying so hard and i was like nah, can't do it and then suddenly it just it just flips over and then you can do it and i think it's similar to mm-hmm. some of the other like you know lever progressions that sort of thing in my experience anyway it's been sort of like uh this is i'm sort of like stuck here stuck here and i can't really go to the next phase and then suddenly oh i can put my legs out a little bit more and it just mm-hmm. flips over but it kind of keeps you honest because you can't just jump up and then just do like a full Back lever from from nothing. You gotta you gotta really work your way up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, um, probably more so with handstands. Less with the with the strength stuff. that tends to be more of like a linear progression, but it's very different to weightlifting. With handstands, that does as I said, that seems to be that like impossible to possible switch. Especially with the press. I've, I've coached a lot of people to press, and even to the day before they get the press, it'll be like, I can't do it. I literally can't figure this out. Like it's impossible to do this movement. And mm-hmm. they do one, and it will be like. Oh, I can do this. This is easy. And then all of a sudden they just do loads. And it's almost the same as that, like four minute mile, when I can't mm-hmm. remember who broke the four minute mile initially, like four minute mile was considered impossible for running. Mm-hmm. One guy did it and then everyone did it. And it's just like that, just that one mental barrier to get over. And that happens in normal weightlifting. Like you might have a number, like 200 kilos or a hundred mm-hmm. kilos of so that is that mental barrier to break through. But with hand sands, especially like there's new skills. Um, it's almost like it's impossible until it's not. And then when it's when you've done it once, you'll just do it again. Uh, for me recently, just getting 10 seconds on one arm.
0: Yeah, I saw like that. Just
1: kept, I kept getting like eight or nine seconds, like just like freaking myself out. Like I guess to like eight, seven or eight seconds, I'd be like, oh, actually, wait a second, you're holding this for quite a long time. Don't fuck it up. Like don't, don't mess it up. And I was like, oh, God damn it. So
0: yeah, when you, when you do that, do, are you, do you have like a clock set down or a metronome or do you, do you just review afterwards as to how long you were holding uh, yeah.
1: it? I, I used to do uh, metronomes, the whole like Perth crew, like the stands out in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. They have obviously the metronomes, but I, I stopped using them just because I found it off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like, it, time isn't necessarily the most important. Like, I also had the goal of getting 10 seconds, but time wasn't the most important thing to me. Uh, it was just like focusing on what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, and then since that, since like I hit 12 seconds, I kept it at eight or nine and then I hit 12 and I was like, Oh, I can do it now. And now like, it's it's strange. Like the last, cause that only happened like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but the last two weeks, my balance has been like, it just feels so much more confident. It's just almost like that instant mindset shift from, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do it. And then it's just, it's weird how it just changes.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's actually like a physical limitation or it's actually like just a, a belief limitation
1: with handstand i think it's a belief uh mm-hmm. because this is happens of like when people try to get 60 second handstands like if you can hold that's, a handstand for 30 seconds <laughs> yeah if you can hold a handstand for like 20 30 seconds you have the technique you have the the the, the actual technical skill to hold it for 60 it's just a mental a mental battle then
0: yeah i you was just to... talking about that with a friend today actually because i was like ah oh, like i can't break through this minute. Like I've got 55 before. And I remember when, you know, you, you get over the 50 seconds and, you, and you're looking at it and you're like, I'm so close. <laughs> and then just as you think you're going to make it, you just fall over and th- and then that's it.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a hard one to break. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways you can do it. I, I used to, when I was trying to go for the minute, I just get a friend just to spot me and like it's like, just like this, kind of hands either side and just let me like bounce a little bit back and forth, especially for that last like Mm. 10 seconds. So at least I knew in my head that I could hold the handstand for 60 seconds, but actually like breaking, I find not staring at the the clock to be particularly beneficial. It can be beneficial depending on the sort of person you are. If you're Mm. a sort of person who sees number and like they're willing to push that a little bit extra to get towards that, Mm. that time, that second barrier, then yes, if not, if you're, if you're concerned about the time, but it doesn't motivate you, then something else might be useful. Like, mm. I don't know, having a song in the background and like, you know, at a certain point in that song, yep. it's going to be a minute. Like, there's lots of different things you can kind of figure things out. But yeah, personally, I don't find timing stuff helps.
0: Yeah, I like that approach. Yeah, just try and find that sort of... It's like setting up your environment, right? Like set up your environment to, to suit how you, you work and that might yeah. provide the best conditions for you to, to operate in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, not everyone is motivated by like getting that extra five seconds or 10 seconds. Some people just find it that it's putting up. I certainly find it it is putting up, it's focusing on the wrong thing. Mm.
0: Well, congratulations on the one arm handstand. Like in the end, how, how long did it take you from that point when you're like, okay, I'm going to start working on it till, till now.
1: The answer is too long. <laughs> uh, te- technically I, I've, I haven't, I have technically passed into the realms of, of one arm. I'm now officially a beginner in one arm.
0: And what's what's that standard?
1: Well, this is the standard set by the Perth boys, which is 10 seconds.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I've only, got 10, I've only got 10
1: seconds on my right arm. My, my left arm can do like two or three. But this yep. is again, this is pretty normal. This is standard for one arm training. Like you're always going to have the same with, with one arm chin up. Like you, you're likely going to get it on one arm before the other. Um, but yeah, 10 seconds on the one arm. Um, that would that came like last week, so it was the the beginning of April, a couple of weeks ago, beginning of April. I think I started training like my first one arm handstand session was um December of 2017, like mid December 2017. So that's like what two years and three months, four months. But during that period, um, I started training for the one arm probably three or four months after I tore my supraspinatus or on my right shoulder so i had rehabbed it it felt okay um and then i started doing my one arm and then i developed bicep tendinitis because mm-hmm. my shoulder wasn't stable enough because of mm-hmm. the supraspinatus tear yep. then i developed bicep tendonitis in the other arm so i was like i had yes it's been two years and four months or whatever but i probably had about six months off during that time yep. for injuries basically
0: it's but funny like the that, last 18 yeah. months
1: has been pretty consistent
0: I'm glad to hear. It's It's funny like that sometimes like that, that little thing can set off like a whole chain reaction of, of other events.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 It's just, if one link is weak in the chain, something else has to compensate. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, when I hear that, that's like a, a really long commitment, you know, which is quite, quite rare these days as well. How did you, how did you just keep yourself going and what did you tell yourself during that time?
1: when I, I, started, I was like I'll, I'll get this in six months you'll be fine
0: <laughs> so what happens after <laughs> six months you know you're injured you're <laughs> you're just coming back from injury then you're going again and it's another six months like
1: <gasps> yeah I I mean I don't actually I feel like it's probably a bit of sunken fallacy. like this to this to the point at which you just like I've just spent so, so much time doing this um I just need to keep going until I get it otherwise it's just a waste of time I think I probably got to that point about about 18 months into it. So probably about six months ago, I was getting the odds like lift here and there, but it just felt absolutely impossible. Mm. I was like, I was doing, it, I was training consistently and I was just, I don't understand how it can go from feeling like this to actually being able to hold. I don't, I don't see that connection. And I kind of just hit that brick wall. I'd be in this sort of place for a few months. I was like, this is just not going to happen for me. And like, what if I just can't do it, what I'm, um, which is, you know, in the current situation in climate, such an irrelevant, um, thing. Like, cool. You can hold a one our hands up, but you know, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I, guess, I, think,
0: I guess it's like, you know, whatever you hold and value that, that has value, right? Because you, in the end, you, you determine what you, what you want to work on. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. I think,
1: I think the, the, the quote from Socrates, like the, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but essentially along the lines of no man, all women are ad uh, should grow old about seeing the beauty and grace of which their body is capable. Of like that phrase for me is super important. Um, I think it's such a such a valuable thing, especially as a young man or woman, like at the young age, like actually seeing what your body can do, whether that mm-hmm. is weightlifting in the gym, whether that's movement stuff. I think it's a really important thing, and I don't think enough people have a physical practice.
0: And is that uh, what sort of regardless? Is that Sorry. what sort of motivates you when you decide to like share all your content and put the message out there for, 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 other people? Is it sort of that, that sort of message?
1: Yeah. initially I was like, when I first started sharing YouTube videos, it's actually my, my uncle's partner out in, I went to visit out in Santa Cruz in California, stayed with them like a few summers, um, and. I was kind of doing bits of Instagram I had a couple of thousand followers and I was just sharing stuff. And And she was like, Oh, you should just make some YouTube videos. And I was like, cool. I, I, I like making YouTube videos. I like making videos. I used to make YouTube videos about cool of GT back in the day. Uh, and <laughs> I was like 15.
0: <laughs> I, I was about to ask, 15. like, how do you, how do you get just a couple thousand followers just of latte art? But it must've been the cool account. No, that was off.
1: That, that was off Latte Art. That was <laughs> like, I had like 3000 followers on Instagram and it was like literally just off coffee related
0: stuff. You know, there are probably some like really um, caffeine addicted guys from the very beginning who are now into like deep body weight because of like your journey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, so initially when I started making it it was, it was because I didn't know any better at the time. So I I was, I always was aware that I didn't know that much. So it was more like just sharing my experience of what I was doing and what I'd found useful. There was no like, this is the right or wrong way.
0: You remember Uh, what your first video was?
1: yeah i made like a like an epic montage like a, a channel like promotion thing it was like a bunch of uh different clips the best clips that i could do at the time um and it, initially the channel was called vitality and agility it wasn't called bodyweight warrior that was a later name
0: i i do remember that because i think some of the videos yeah. that i watched that you used to have that as, as well so that
1: was a that was a while ago that was what i came up with but i the actual reason it shifted to the warrior was because I, I read this book by Robert Moore mm. called the King Magician Warrior Lover. So yep. uh, have you heard of it before?
0: I haven't heard of it. I've only heard it like from when I was looking at your website and your mention of it. So okay. yeah, like, what what in, sort of inspired you through that process to, to change the direction there?
1: Have you heard of Elliot Hulse?
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I mean, he's got a little bit, in a strange direction the last few years, uh, to say the least, but mm-hmm. certainly five, six years ago, he was, I thought he was definitely speaking some truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really enjoyed his videos and his kind of approach to things. So I, he had that book and I read that book a long time ago and I started reading more about like philosophy and other this and thesis. Uh, and it just really changed my mindset uh, it's, it's essentially it's a, a book based on Carl Jung's philosophy. Archetypes around masculinity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we're talking about masculinity, it doesn't mean specifically for men. It's to do with that masculine mm-hmm. yang energy, which is in everyone, just to different degrees. But the warrior is uh, part of that that masculine energy, and, and the warrior is like your atypical um, samurai soldier, somebody who's very committed to their craft. It's committed to to learning skills, perfecting skills putting in hard work staying consistent doing things for the right reasons mm. that is the the warrior energy so really if you want to be successful with training you have to have you have to be able to harness the warrior training the, the warrior energies so that was the reason for the name i think a lot of people kind of get uh, mixed up with like warrior and like fighting going hardcore that sort of thing like it's definitely not not the
0: case yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because language always has these um inherent connotations to everyone as well and when you think of warrior at the start it is like you know some guy covered in blood you know braveheart style but you're you're talking about it in a completely different different light which i haven't heard of before
1: yeah i guess so Uh, so it's almost like um the the definition of aggression. like there's actually quite a few definitions of it Uh, obviously there's aggression in terms like feeling of anger uh, and wanting to attack, but there's also the definition of wanting to put all our energy into winning. I can't remember the exact, um, the exact definition given, but like we've, we've taken it more as uh, an aggressive fighting thing. Mm. Whereas, you know, it actually comes from yes to attack, but also to go forward, to proceed, to walk. So there's that kind of, it's not necessarily just about fighting, being aggressive. You can be aggressive in life in terms of the goals you want to achieve and where you want to go.
0: Mm. And so when you found that, did that sort of um, refocus you, make things a little bit clearer for where you wanted to head?
1: I just think it it made me more introspective about my own behavior and how I was acting and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve and what sort of person I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, So even I I try to reread it once a year and, um, the book itself is like packed full of notes and stuff. And I'm not perfect. I still have to like check myself all the time because I'm like, mm. it's just that the book itself, like there's a lot of philosophy books out there. Um, and a lot of them are like 400 pages long. And then you read it and you're like, that really could have been said in 50 pages. And the other 350 pages is just <laughs> bullshit. Whereas <laughs> that book was like, it's 200 pages long and it's 200 pages of good stuff. Uh, there's there's no real like wasted Words which I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. and they they present it in a really just they present it in a way that you read and then you kind of reflect on your own behavior, like because they they give you the the all the king magician more love, but these are the like the peaks of masculine that that energy, mm-hmm. uh, and then underneath it they have the shadow versions, which is <laughs> it sounds like some uh, evil villain, but essentially it's just uh, the shadow versions, just like the immature versions of that energy. Mm. So they've got all, and and when you read the examples, you're like, oh damn, I've done that, done this, I've acted in that way. it's just like, it's, it's just a really easy way to reflect.
0: So the shadow versions are kind of like the, um, the, the counter to these more, more noble energies.
1: Yeah. So super simple example, you'd have like the king energy, which is, you know, about being a king in terms of, um, leading, uh, making people feel safe and secure. There's loads of different, I have to. (laughs) <laughs> read it to, to properly not butcher it. But then one of the shadow would be the high chair tyrant. So this mm-hmm. would be, you know, a king energy in terms of, but expressed in an immature way. It'd be somebody who's like throwing their toys out of the pram to try and get what they want. So yeah. it's like the same outcome that they're leading still, that they're making the decisions, mm-hmm. but the way they do it is completely wrong or immature.
0: And, and I'm guessing as you read this, you can sort of reflect back and see where you've acted in these type
1: of traits, right? Yeah, yeah. You just you just read some of the chat and you're like, "Fuck, I've done that before," like, or I do that now. And I'm like, "Damn it, I need to work on that."
0: <laughs> and do you see like that sort of stuff um, really interlinked with like how you physically practice? Like, do you make that like a part of your training or like a part of your teaching when you when you speak with clients as well?
1: Um, that's an interesting question. No, I d- I don't really. I mean I always have interesting conversations with clients um, and, and it t- tends to go further than just just training mm-hmm. but I think certainly doing the physical practice of training tends to bring out some of the more desirable traits that you want to develop yeah just because you have to have that in place to, to succeed so um, I sort of think the message maybe is there to some degree. As I said, you need the warrior energy in its fullness to be able to be good at training. Sometimes you don't need to have that conversation. You just need to do the practice and it'll come out.
0: Mm. Yeah. Cause I normally see this like connecting link with like a lot of, um, the community <laughs> here that, that I relate to, uh, with, it's not just about like purely the physical art, you know, getting strong or that sort of thing. It's like, at some sort of stage, there's always these wider questions as to, um, like the internal mindset, like, what are we actually doing? That sort of, um, the sort of self questioning line line of inquiry, inquiry So yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know if you see that also with like a lot of the community over there, but, um, I, I found that to be a really common thread.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's why, you know, potentially, you got to have your the why that you are doing this to be really strong but like that's why people don't when you say ask me why i've done one arms for like two and a half years or whatever like i just I don't know that's just what i do like I, i've that's the goal that i set and i wanted to get it and i think a lot of people who go deep into whatever even if it's crossfit or something there's a reason for that Their why is, is strong enough to to motivate them when they don't feel like doing something productive when they just want to sit at home, they still make the effort to get up and go.
0: Yeah. It's like a little bit of that refinement of the, of the craft. I think, you know, early on in the journey, when you get into these sort of things, it can be really frustrating and it's really easy to walk away. But then as you get deeper into it, it's like harder to walk away and it's more addictive because I don't know what it is. Like there is no end goal in sight. Right. But there is something just in that process of just constant refining that is highly almost pleasurable
1: yeah i think i think it's different to traditional weight training because traditional weight training you'd be like okay i can do 100 kilos i want to hit 120 kilos and there's like there's kind of yes yeah, some steps in between but there's and and, you, and you're so limited to a few lifts that the, the focus is quite linear and and narrow whereas with the movement that had like my my goal could have been you know 10 second one arm but then there's so many different things that I could do at handstands as well at the same time that I've kind of ticked a lock on the way so although that end goal was where I was ultimately trying to get to it get deterred because along the way I got many other different skills that I hadn't got beforehand and I think as well when you get on a process like this you understand ultimately there is no end goal the practice itself is the is the practice yeah. uh it's fun to chase towards things but ultimately you have to enjoy what you mm. do to some degree and,
0: and yeah Sorry, I, was, I was gonna ask just to, on this um on this journey did you were you coaching yourself or did you have someone guiding you through that process
1: um i initially uh whatever subjects i've got into I actually i've played golf since i was like 10 to i play golf pretty seriously and actually if I, there's my golf clubs there <laughs> so i still play golf i still play golf now um the reason i bring this up is because when i was playing golf like i got super into golf and it, this is just generally what i do with a subject like if I'm, if I'm doing something i'll go all in on that subject um so when i was at golf i, I just used to in my spare time i used to just read like coaches manuals and and like I probably pissed off my friends a lot when we used to play together because I'd be like, "Oh, you're doing this wrong. You need to do this and that." Uh, with, with the goal swing, uh, I don't do that anymore. Like I've I've learned. But as a kid, like I just that's just what I did. Um, I did the same thing with bodyweight training, just uh, or just training in general. Even when I was doing powerlifting, whatever it is, I've just gone all in on it, and I got really just interested. I just read. I read a lot. What took what I'd learned from the weightlifting, the Olympic lifting stuff, applied that to bodyweight because essentially it's the same thing. It's just the stimulus is different, but the training methods of the strength conditioning theory behind it is very similar. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So yeah, much of the time I was self taught. um, And (laughs) it was kind of a weird one because I was coaching people, but I'd never actually been coached. Mm. Uh, And I was like, uh, it, it, it happened quite organically in the sense that I was just training by myself, working on my own things. And I had some friends at gymnastics who were doing the same thing as you, like they were into the gymnastics, that strength, bodyweight strength, I think they mm-hmm. weren't really a gymnast. They were just doing the calisthenics, the bodyweight side of things. So I was training, I'd train with them and they'd be like, Oh, I was making okay progress. And they'd be like, Oh, what do you reckon to this? And I'd sort of help them out. I'd maybe write a program for them. And, and it was that sort of thing rather than um, I was intentionally going out of my way to coach. And then I started coaching and then I kind of realized like I okay, got I, I mean, part of the issue was I just didn't have the money as well. I couldn't afford to to have a coach at the end of the day. I couldn't afford the X amount of money per month to have a coach. But as I started coaching some more people and, and doing some PT and stuff, I started making a little bit of money. And then the first thing I was like, I you know I really should invest in somebody else more for like a, a mental break. Like I, I like designing programs. I like thinking uh, about, you know, approaches to training, but it's really hard to train yourself well yeah how, do you, sometimes it's easier just to be like just give me something to do and mm. i'll do it
0: like do you have a specific process that you put yourself through so that you know like what to program for you and what what, what to work on because i've done the sort of self-coaching thing uh, myself uh, uh, until until this year and i must admit it, it is really difficult over the long term to to keep it going
1: yeah i think that also comes down just to like a lack of knowledge like I didn't know in the long term, just because I didn't know enough about coaching or training. I didn't know enough about like cycles and yearly cycles, and and, and the more I've learned, I still think I could coach myself now. But I've really like having somebody else's opinion. I find that invaluable. Yeah. And it's just they pick up on stuff that you don't necessarily pick up on, and and also with training, there's so many different ways to do it. There are like there's definitely some core principles you need to adhere to, but. There's a, an art and a science to program design. There's those core principles, those fundamentals, time and attention sets, um, loading angles, all of those sort of things. And then there's the art of like, how do you create that in a plan of somebody to do over a period of time to achieve goals? And how mm-hmm. do you do it? And that that is just, that can be done in so many different ways. So I started coaching. Um, I didn't ever get any coaching for skill stuff up until quite recently, but I started coaching with Ulrich, uh, I don't know if you know Oricon on hands and Instagram. Yeah. I teach workshops with him, mm-hmm. um, so I taught a couple of workshops with him, and he was, you know, he's very, very down the one arm route. So I started coaching with him when I was doing one arm stuff, and that was super interesting. But um, when I got injured, it was kind of out of his area of expertise, so mm. I kind of stopped there. And then I started working with Emmett, um, Emmett Lewis. So I've been coaching with Emmett for I don't know, probably almost a year now and I'm probably a bit longer actually maybe like 18 months he's helped me a lot with the one arm but also um, it's been a little bit of a mentorship so he's taught me a lot about uh, coaching and being a better coach as well which has been invaluable to me so certainly it's something I wish I'd invested in sooner and if I had the money I probably would have invested in sooner but I you know I think you can be pretty good as your own coach but if you really want to make good progress it, it helps to have somebody who can observe your whole practice and, and give you kind of a an unbiased view on things. Cause I guarantee that if you coach yourself, you're probably more likely to give yourself exercises and things that you enjoy doing, which isn't always necessarily the thing that you need to be doing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny that because when you're sort of on the other side of never had a coach before, there's kind of like this, a bit of, bit of wall and resistance, right? You're kind of like, ah, uh, like, I think I can keep on just figuring it out my myself, but once you then step through that and then jump over and then get that coach, it's like, I mean, maybe also it's like, it depends on the quality of the coach as well, but my experience. There's a lot of
1: questionable coaching out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My, my experience has definitely been like, after that, you're like, Oh, why didn't I do this sooner? Like this is actually just shifted so much of what I've learned. It's sort of just 10 times is the rate of, of learning and, and progress.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can even be as simple as buying. Like I didn't, I just didn't start off with coaching. I started off, I bought uh, fitness FAQs body by rings mm-hmm. as the first program I bought, um, I did that and like, it was just, it was just really interesting to be exposed to a different type of training. Uh, yeah. That's the main thing. I like, was very different to what I was doing anyway. So it just, I don't know you, you get into your own fixed groove of doing things. I don't, it's not, there's the bad thing. Um, if you learn more about training it can be beneficial but like if you if you're the sort of person who you're doing a job and you've got a life outside of things and, and you're trying to train as well like then finding the extra time to learn about training and learn more about stuff like there's some useful things you can pick up to actually get a really comprehensive understanding you need to put a lot of hours into research and education and ultimately would it be better off like passing that responsibility off to somebody who literally does that for their job properly
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like putting putting in that trust where, and being real to yourself as well. If training isn't going to be everything and um, everything f- for for you, or you're not going to be like professional as well, you you could also just yeah, trust in that responsibility for somebody else and just reap reap the benefits. Really, it's like leveraging off, off the other person
1: yeah and it just takes it takes a lot of the mind games out of it. it's like if i just know that i have a program i'm going to go and train and this is what i'm going to do i'd have to think about what i'm doing i, I trust in the in, in it and i trust the person who's coaching me i'm just going to go do it i can focus on the doing rather than the thinking about it. because i used to when i was first writing programs myself i'd write a program i'd follow it for a week and i'd be like ah oh, i don't like this i want to change this i just change it again and i do it for another week and I'd just obviously like a recurrent cycle and i wouldn't make any progress because i was just changing things to frequently there's not enough consistency in my training whereas emmett gives me a program like okay if i do this now for the next next amount of time i think that
0: is a, a bit of um the the trap these days especially like you go onto instagram you go onto youtube and there's just there's just so much right and there's like another drill for it to do this so another drill to do this and certainly i've been the victim to then go oh yeah maybe i need a do this instead or, or to do this, this instead and just keep yeah, like yeah. changing and changing until you're like i don't know what i'm doing anymore
1: yeah i i mean i feel like i've been on both sides of this so as a consumer of content which i still mm-hmm. i still watch those people and i, I found it interesting and also as a producer i understand like variety ultimately is a cheap way to sell exercise a cheap way to get people into like mm-hmm. people don't want to be told that you need to see the same stuff over and over again but ultimately that's the case. You've got to make the best progress. Um, Variability is an important thing and it generally goes along with training age. So if you're a beginner, you could do the exact same workout for three months and you'd still make progress because your body is so new to that stimulus. It doesn't need variability. If you're, you know, two years in, you probably could do the same workout for six to eight repeats and you'll still make progress. If you've got five years of training experience, you're probably gonna have to change the workout every four repeats, maybe mm-hmm. so you're going to need much more variety to keep getting um, the progressing and, and keep improving. that's just like a general, that, that applies to strength training and trans applies to body weight training. Um, that, but underlying all of that, there is still an element that needs to be consistent. Yeah. So like for most people, I find like four to six weeks of doing the same program is important and then changing. If you change it less frequently than that, unless you're super advanced, you're probably just not going to spend enough time learning patterns to get good at them. If you change it uh, less, uh, if you train more frequently, you're not going to spend enough time training train it less frequently.
0: Mm.
1: You kind of get a bit stagnant with the things you're working
0: on. So you touched on a little bit
1: uh,
0: on something there that I kind of want to ask, ask you on, which is about the, the videos and how you're on the producing side. And you notice that variety is, uh, is also i guess what gets people to watch this content like how do you go about deciding now like what to put out there or what to make
1: uh, yeah i i don't know it tends to be just reflective of like things that i've learned or things that i'm reading or things that i'm doing it's sort of more about a lot of the time it's influenced by things that i've learned so stuff out a couple of years ago even a year ago it's very different to the stuff i'm putting out today just because i've learned and, and evolved over that period of time so that's part of it part of it is i read a lot of comments and people ask for things and i'm like hey, i can do that that's fine
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and then the, you kind of just the general there is general trends in fitness i guess but but most of the time it's just kind of things that kind of i I don't know i feel like talking about really i don't don't really know how sometimes it just come up sometimes i see really good ideas like recently i started doing the uh reviewing people's video clips like Mm -hmm. so i watch some other content on youtube that isn't just uh, exercise related stuff i watch some like commentary channels and i kind of like the idea of people reviewing subscribers or other related content i was like how can we do that in a fitness way it's like okay i can review your clips and give you some coaching feedback and it actually turned out to be really helpful video to a lot of people and something that not people not many people have done or no people that i'd seen it done really especially in calisthenics i thought that was kind of a fun video sometimes things just come about but um, most of the time it's just whatever i'm currently reading or interested in or just answering people's questions um to be honest uh, but i understand because obviously I chatted to Daniel fitness FAQs quite a bit. And, um, and ultimately, you know, if you're going to be consistent with making videos on YouTube, I do two videos a week. If I'm being good, one video a week at a minimum, um, to keep coming up with something different each time. There's ultimately only so long you can do that unless you're going to go for that variety element, which can be useful. And people, and some people enjoy that, but ultimately for long term progress, it's not needed.
0: Yeah, because I guess at at some point as well, you've you've almost covered off everything that like a normal person would need to know about body weight, right? It's like <laughs> making any more body weight videos is like the, the there's already you, you've already done that in in so many different ways. So I guess that that must be the ongoing challenge is how to yeah, keep I, on how to keep on going.
1: I felt like I got to that point recently where like people would ask me for a and I'm like, I've already done that. Here's a link to it. But then obviously, um, you can always, I think a lot of my older videos, especially, were much more fluffy than the videos now. And I think you learn things and things progress. So there's always like every year, I'll probably make another video about the same topic. Like maybe uh, I've done another handstand tutorial. I did the first hands-on tutorial I did on YouTube. It was like three or four years ago. I did another one recently. And it wasn't necessarily like a sit-down tutorial. It was more of like a collating of lots of different videos that I've done in mm. terms of like a wrist routine, a shoulder routine and, and kind of how to put it together. So I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to repeat content because you learn things and you want to uh, take out the fluff. Like ultimately being a good coach is, um, about giving the least amount of information that you can give, but will still make somebody make progress. Mm. There's a, there's a, there's a Chinese Olympic weightlifting, um, I can't remember the name of it now. I'll try and think it by the end of this, but, Basically, they've kind of they've distilled down Olympic lifting to like the least amount of cues that they can give somebody, but that is still going to help them focus and make good gains. And I think a lot of people in the fitness community go the other way. They want to appear knowledgeable about subjects, so mm. they kind of overly complicate something to a really horrific point of view that it becomes just paralyzing for anyone to try to follow and do it. When, I, when when you hear people talking about hands, hands like oh, I need to think about posture, pelvic tilt, squeezing my glutes, and pulling my legs together and pointing my toes, and like they they have like twenty cues for hands hand. I'm like that, that's just that's a nightmare. Like it's just horrible to be able to make, to be able to focus on that many things at once.
0: Yeah, because I guess in the end, you know, for yourself learning like you you also just need to learn for yourself, right? Just by by feeling. Feeling like okay, I can I can do this thing enough that I can, I can back myself. I can just make. I mean, nothing's ever correct anyway, right? So it's no, like no. That, that fine balance between thing is
1: fact, just interpretation.
0: Yeah, just just telling them enough um, and and backing away to to let them learn themselves.
1: That's what I think. I feel like that's a lot of coaching. Ultimately, is just the right cue at the right time. So for some people, it's it's very different. Some people need to. Yeah, if we're doing hands on some people need to hear like okay you need to push taller and tuck the chest other people need to think about you know drawing the belly button in. It's, it's ultimately the same result but just whatever the cue is you need to kind of figure that out on a personal basis
0: and do you find it difficult these days as well with a, a, a larger following to i don't know it, like to keep true to yourself with like the messages and the videos that you produce, or do you find yourself like pushed and pulled sometimes to, you know, really make something about that or share something about, um, uh, another topic that might not be so close to you?
1: Uh, yes. And no. Um, I, I kind of always try to just do what I want to do the YouTube thing, regardless of cause I mean the hands and stuff, tends like if i if i posted just follow alongs my follow alongs get by far the most views but i try to do them irregularly. i do them because people like them i think they're a great people to get they're a great way to get people into stretching like it's super easy it's just like okay i want to do some stretching let's put this video on and just follow along and it takes out a lot of the flap i think that's great i don't think it's the best way to train i don't think it's but, it, but it's the best way to get people moving which is better than not doing it yeah so that's why i like them But the rest of the content, I try to do stuff that I want to do. Like the handstand, the one on handstand, I had the one on handstand series. It's by far like the least viewed video that I make. But Mm -hmm. I just, I like making them and I like sharing that. And I know it's helpful for the people who do watch it. And the same with like like some coffee related stuff that I do add occasionally. Uh, I find it fun to make and talk about. And I know some people, the people who watch it, find it fun so
0: i guess it's funny because the more advanced that you get the more further away you'll get from the majority of the people that will come on and and watch your stuff right like how many people are going to be at that stage to be like oh yeah one on handstand this is going to be really relevant for me that's like that's like years down the track
1: yeah if if, if at all like it's so stupidly specialized and pointless to be honest um I, i feel that actually i'm kind of in a good place because I'm not the most talented person out there by any means. Like I'm not actually that strong or good at content. There's a whole bunch of people who are crazy, crazy good. And I'm not even anywhere near them. But uh, I feel that's almost sort of more beneficial because I kind of can relate more to the people mm-hmm. beginning than the people at the top end. And I think the people at the top end find it, like if you're good at something doesn't mean you're good at coaching it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's two different parts there, but certainly uh, the more I've grown, I guess, there, there's a certain pressure to kind of fulfill um, everyone's requests. And then I kind of just
0: figured out that like ultimately certain videos. You know, so Sorry about again. that. Can, yeah. I'm not sure what's happening on my end, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, I'm just mindful of your, t- of your time as well. So, you know, looking to the future with like personal practice and maybe like, yeah, on, um, on the business side as well, what have you sort of got in mind? What are you going to be working on in this in this current year?
1: Um, well, it was the one I'm hands on, now I've got that. I'm a bit like, where am I going to go next? Uh, no, per- personally, I'm working on uh, five style depressors. So style depressors from like mm. straddle, L-sit up to handstand. So again, five of those, I can currently do three, maybe four if I'm really i want to do five handstand pushups in a row freestanding as well and yep. again that's probably about three at the moment so that, that will keep me busy for a little while yeah obviously getting the one i'm house is like a, a never-ending thing so i'll just keep working on that um i actually i i haven't had much focus on flexibility for the past couple of years um i got like my middle splits i got my front splits i got pancake all that sort of stuff and then i mm. i've trained it very sporadically and although you know i'm probably if I was to go and warm up and do some middle splits, I'd still be like probably five centimeters away from the floor. Like I haven't lost that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't feel as solid as it did. I feel certainly tighter than I did two years ago. And I know that's because I just haven't, I haven't put the time and effort into training it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to resetting my focus a bit to flexibility. Uh, Cause it's just been like all or nothing handstands uh, for the last two years. Um, and then business wise, um, I just want to, just keep, keep doing what I'm doing. Basically. I mean, the YouTube thing I'm encroaching on half a million subscribers, which I actually don't really care too much about subscribers. Like I very rarely look at numbers As I said I don't care if a video gets less views. If I'm sharing something mm. as long as the value that I'm sharing in that video, I know it's going to be useful to the people watching it. So it doesn't really bother me too much, but it, at the same time, it's like a nice milestone to hit. Yep. Um, so, so I'm just kind of focusing more on creating better content. Um, for a period of time i focused more on coaching and now i'm comfortable coaching i have like a group of people that i've been working with for like two or three years mm-hmm. um i'm not interested i don't I, I limit that number and i'm kind of focusing more on making better videos um, and also creating stuff that more people can have access to because ultimately i can only work with like 20 people at one time Um and i really enjoy like that level but i know there's a lot of people out there who are like can you help me out in another way? So I'm trying to like the app that I have, I'm trying to do that and put a lot of work into, into making that better. We've got like, like 10, 15,000 monthly users on there. Mm. And then obviously the YouTube as well.
0: I guess that's always the biggest challenge with this sort of um, art is in that one-on-one coaching scope. You know, that that's the most powerful, but your, your limitation of time is always going to, to limit the scope of how many people you can directly touch through that medium
1: yeah yeah like there's a as i said you know i'm only one one person there's no other people who work for me or do this like i do everything i I design the app Uh, i post out all the orders i have i do all the youtube i do all the editing i do all the coaching i i love it because it gives me a lot of variety but also i have limited time so as much as i'd love to be able to coach 50 people at once i just physically can not so
0: yeah well tom you've been like extremely generous with your time today and then also like just with all your videos and your content that, that you share, I know like it really helped me at the start of my journey. And I always still flick back with a lot of the content and it, and it's still, yeah, it's still money. It's still on the point. I always learn something new every time I, I go on. So I just have to say, yeah, thank you very much for, for doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so I have, like, honestly, the 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 best thing is when somebody says, like, oh, this video helped me out, and I made some, like, progress, or I've been following this. I, just, I still find it weird, like, it shocks me when people are, like, tagging me, like, following the routines. Like, just I don't know, it's, it's, I still think it's wild that people are doing that, so, yeah, that makes it worth it, I love it
0: yeah well hopefully you know when all this uh, opens up you'll be able to do an australian tour maybe you know come down host i would love to come to australia yes and i'll take you over to some of my favorite cafes so um, i'm sure you'll enjoy that as well
1: i've heard lots about the coffee scene (laughs) i wouldn't like to say that's not the main reason for wanting to come but you know it's definitely out there
0: And that's it. That's a wrap. That's episode nine. Thanks once again to Tom. I'm really grateful that he spent the time to sit down and have a bit of a chat. And thanks so much for you guys for sticking around, listening. I really appreciate it. Now, remember, if you have any questions, please, you can find me on Instagram at phaonp, at P-H-A-O-N-P. And if you like this podcast, like, subscribe, share it, do all those great things. So we'll be back for episode 10. I hope to see you guys there and I'll catch you later.